Ephesians chapter 1 today, verses 13 and 14. Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, <clears throat> open up your word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study it, to think about it, to meditate, to, to have it change our lives and to shape the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about life and especially how, how we see you. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us today, that you would do the things that we're going to talk about that you do today, that you would convict us of sin, that you would reveal Christ to us, that you would uh, hinder us from, from living a life of sin, that you would bring unity uh, in the body of Christ. Holy Spirit, we, we look to you today to do those things. And we ask you to, we invite you to, in Jesus' name, amen. I am the type of person that I like lots of assurances. Uh, you may not be this way. Emma is not as much this way. Uh, but, but I really am. I like assurances. In fact, I'm the type of guy that always takes my receipt. Are, are, are you, which are you? Do you, you always take your receipt or do you like never take your receipt? You know, a lot of times anymore you have option. You know, you can be green and, and leave the receipt in the, in the machine and, and, and not kill a tree. And, and I go ahead and kill all the trees because it's, I, I want that receipt. I, even, even if I'm just going to throw it away later, I, I want to have something that I can say, okay, I know I'm assured by an official transaction here that I, purchase this for this price, you know? I mean, I, I just want to see that. It, I, I can't not not want that. I, I just, I'm, a, I'm the type of person that I want those things. If I buy something on the internet, which is a really spooky thing for me, uh, still even, but but I, but I want some sort of confirmation that I bought what I think I bought for the price that, that I think I bought it for. I mean, I want some sort of email. I want a confirmation. I want a number. I want something. And, and I think part of that comes from, I've had some bad experiences when I didn't have that, okay? When I didn't have some sort of assurance of what, 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 what was transacted, uh, I, I, I've been in bad situations. Before. I think I've told you the story about uh, us being in, in Miami Airport late at night. It's like 11 o'clock. We still had like a four-hour drive uh, to, to Key West, and, and, and we're at this rental car place, and I am telling this person in front of me, we have a reservation. We rented a car with you, you know, and they're telling me, no, you didn't, okay? And, and, and I didn't have any confirmation. I didn't have a piece of paper. I didn't have a number. You know, they asked me, do you have your confirmation? No, I don't. Someone, you know, do you have this? Do you have that? No, 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 no. You know, and so we go through this miserable, you know, hour or so of, of me trying to tell them I have a reservation and them tell me I don't have a reservation. And indeed, I did have a reservation at a different car company at a different location, but I had one, but it wasn't the right one. And so I've had these bad experiences. We've had flight things that, that came about where, you know, we thought we were here and we weren't really there. And, and man, I tell you, when they moved to, to ticketless flying, that was hard for me, you know? I remember the first time we flew ticket, I'm like, honey, we don't have any tickets, you know? I mean, the whole time there, I'm thinking, this is not going to work. That, you know, we missed something. I don't have something in my hand that tells me I can get on the plane. Uh, th- those are hard things for me. I'm the kind of person, I want assurances, okay? Now, all that stuff, really is small, really, when you think about it, missing a flight, not having a car, whatever. You know, all those things are really small compared to what we're talking about today, which are things like being forgiven of your sins, going to heaven, 
being in a right relationship with God, stepping into the presence of Jesus when you die, God indeed hearing your prayers, being, being right with Him so that He is for you and not against you, those to me are incredibly important matters that a person ought to have some assurance that it's done. I think most of you, many of you in this room would probably say, hey, those are settled matters in my life, Pastor. You know, when I think about, am I in a right relationship with God? When I think about, are my sins forgiven? Am I joined to Jesus Christ? Am I in union with Him? Has He taken away my sins and given me His righteousness? Many of you would say, those are really settled matters in my heart, Pastor. I have peace about those things. You know, I I know they're done. I I, I know that if I would die today, I I know what what would happen to me. And and let let me just push on you a little bit, but how do you know? I mean, how, how do you know? Do you have a receipt? You know, do you have an email confirmation from the celestial gates that tell you that indeed this deal is done? Uh, I mean, do, do you know that? Do you have some sort of confirmation for that? That you have treasure in heaven? Verse 14 talks about an inheritance. You know that? Notice that? Who's the guarantee of our inheritance? If you open verse 11 uh, earlier in the passage, it says, In him we have, we have obtained an inheritance. Okay? Uh, I mean, it's incredible when you, when you unpack from the scriptures what that inheritance is. A future capacity for joy and pleasure and satisfaction and glory that we cannot presently imagine. The Bible says that is a real deal. But is it yours? That's what, I, that's what I'm asking. Is it mine? I mean, are we heirs to that? You know, even if you, if you believe today, there's this incredible inheritance. I mean, I know that someday Bill Gates is going to leave an incredible inheritance to somebody, but I, I'm, I'm almost certain it's not going to be me, right? I, I mean, I'm not an heir to that, okay? And so, so maybe you receive even today what the Bible says about what Jesus has done and what he's given and what's coming for those who, who are in Christ. But here's the thing. How can you be sure? What is your assurance that that belongs to you today? Well, the Bible says you can be sure. You can have assurance and it comes in the form of being uh, of a seal, really. A seal and a guarantee are the two images that are, are used in verses 13 and 14. Now, 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 both of those, the seal and the guarantee, for us, are the Holy Spirit. Okay? That, that, that's your receipt, okay, if you will. That, that's your confirmation. That, that's your assurance that indeed what, what the Bible says is done in the life of a believer is done in you. Okay? Now, now, notice what I didn't say, okay? Because this is important. Our seal is not your church membership, okay? You, that's not your guarantee. Your guarantee is not that you pray to prayer. Your guarantee is, is not that, uh, that, 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 that you, you have a baptismal certificate, okay? None of those things are your guarantee. And the Bible, the Bible is clear about that. It never says those things are your guarantee. So, so what you should not do today is you should not say, I know that that stuff is mine because I'm a member of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. I know that, that, that I have the inheritance of Christ because I have a baptismal certificate and Pastor Jason signed his name, okay? I did sign my name if I was baptized by you. We did send you a certificate. Uh, hopefully, if we didn't, let us know. We'll get that done. But that's not your assurance. That, that, that's not your confirmation. The Bible says the Holy Spirit of God is your seal. Okay, a seal. It, when something has a seal on it, it represents that it is officially identified with and under the authority of the person whose seal it is. If you get something from the President of the United States, it will most likely have the presidential seal on it. And what that says is this is from him. It's from his authority. It, it, it comes from him. It represents him. Okay. And the Bible says that God has put his seal on the believer 
And that's the Holy Spirit. We belong to Him, okay? Now, Northwest Oklahoma, may, maybe rather than a seal, we should use a, an image that would maybe be more, more uh, uh, culturally relevant to us, or to, the way I grew up anyway, and that's branded. You ever, you ever seen a, a steer get branded? You know, you ever, we, we did that a lot growing up, and okay, that, that's, you know, basically what you're doing is you're, you're marking them and saying, this belongs to me. Okay? I'm putting my seal on this animal. I'm putting my, my mark on this animal to show that, that indeed it is mine. It belongs to me. A seal also kept things in. There, there's a picture when, when, when the Bible talks about the Spirit of God sealing the believer. There, there's a picture that were, were kept in Christ. Remember what they did to Jesus' tomb? That after they put him in it, they sealed it. Remember that? They put, put the, the Roman seal on it, all right? And they put guards around it. It's, it's a picture of, of keeping him in. Supposedly tried to keep him in. They couldn't keep him in. Uh, today, if, if, you, if you buy something from, from the, uh, the store, most likely, you know, almost everything has, has a seal on it, doesn't it? Uh, there are certain water bottles that it takes a chainsaw to get into them because they, they've sealed them, you know, so tightly, you know, to show that th- this thing is authentic. It's not been tampered with. It, it's sealed in. Okay, all those pictures are, are, are what the Spirit of God does in our life. And then look at verse 14. There's a, a different image there. So verse 14 says, uh, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Okay? Now that word guarantee means the down payment or the first installment or the pledge. Okay, it's, a, it's the image of when you buy something, let's say you buy a house and you have to put a down payment down. Okay, that, that's the guarantee, right? You put so much money down and, and that money down is a promise that more is coming, right? Okay, and so the Bible says God has, has, has given us a down payment. God has put something down to, to, to show us, to guarantee us, to confirm in us that more is coming, okay? Probably the most common sort of guarantee today would be an engagement ring. You know, uh, in, in 1990, I believe it was, I, I gave Emma an, an engagement ring. And when I gave her an engagement ring, what, what, what that was about was I was saying there's a promise of more to come here. We're in a binding relationship now, and I am promising you that soon there's going to be a wedding. You know, I mean, what, we didn't do a perpetual engagement. You know, the engagement wasn't the thing. I didn't say, well, honey, here's your engagement ring. Now we're done. We're engaged. We're just going to stay engaged, you know. Uh, no, we didn't do that. The engagement ring was a promise of something more to come. If there was never to be a wedding, then the engagement ring didn't mean much, okay. And so it's a promise of something to come. It's a guarantee of more to come. And so the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that there's more coming for us. And that more is this inheritance, okay. Look again, verse 11. In Him, in Christ... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then again in verse uh, 13, in him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Okay? There is an inheritance coming. The Bible says it's incredible. Okay? Uh, I, I mean, the most incredible inheritance you can imagine. Let's just start out with immortality. Okay, try buying that at the mall. Okay, try buying that anywhere. All right. Actually, people do try to buy that at the mall in, in, in a way. You know, they, they try to, to do things and, and, and buy things and have things done to make them look younger. But but none of that really works in, in, in the end. But the Bible says part of your inheritance is immortality, that you'll never truly die, that you'll live forever in eternity with Jesus Christ and not just live forever. You, you know, just living forever would not be that great, would it? I mean, even on this earth, you can live so long that pretty much. It's time to die because your body's breaking down and and your mind is breaking down and it's not really a quality of life. But Jesus says you're going to live forever in the fullness of joy and the pleasures forever. You're going to live forever in a a place and in a body, a new resurrection body that, that will be glorious. 
Folks, our inheritance includes freedom from sin in a world without sin, without death. Our inheritance includes, and this is the most of all, we'll talk about this more here in just a minute, is more of God. That's your inheritance, is more of God. Nothing and no one can satisfy your soul, your heart, your mind like God. We were made for Him. And and, I I know some of you get that. You get a small portion of it. I get that. I I get a little bit of that. I understand that in my mind and my heart that I'm made for God. And there's only nothing that satisfies me like God. And our inheritance is more of God, more of this perfect relationship with perfect rest and perfect peace and perfect joy and perfect fullness of joy. And we don't have all of that yet, do we? Most of it is yet to come. But what do we have? We have a down payment. Now, now there are times, let me unpack this, where Paul seems to say that we have it now. Look in verse 11. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Okay, that, doesn't that, that language there sounds like we have it? And, and in a way, we do have it now in the sense of there's a certainty about it. Okay, we have it. It's ours. The transaction has been done, if you will. But what we have now is the down payment of what is coming, okay? Let's talk about the inheritance. Here's the coolest thing to me about the inheritance. You know, when you think about in the Bible, when you think about heaven and what's it going to be like and when Christ comes back, you know, the images that we have in the Bible are just straining to point us to the best things imaginable, you know? I mean, the best things that people think of when they think on earth, we think of wealth and we think of riches, you know? Ladies, you might think of jewels or pearls or whatever, you know? And so the Bible uses all those images, doesn't it? I mean, when you when you read through the Bible about what's coming for us, it uses those images of, of streets of gold and gates of pearl and, and different things like that. But really, all of that is just a shadow all of that is this straining to try to tell us that there's something far beyond what we can imagine coming for us. And, and here's what I think is cool is the down payment gives us a real, I think, a clearer picture of what is coming for us. I mean, if, if I buy a car from you and, and you tell me, oh, it's $1,000. And I say, you know, can I, can I put that kind of on a, on a plan? Can I give you a down payment now, 10% down payment, and I'll give you the rest in three months? And you're like, yeah, you can do that. What would you expect of me to give you? Okay, If, if your price is $1,000 and I say I'm going to give you... 10% down, okay, you would expect me to give what? A hundred Twinkies, right? You'd expect to get a hundred Twinkies from me, or maybe a hundred M&Ms, or maybe a hundred gumballs, or a hundred gummy drops, or a hundred mouse traps. What would you expect? You'd expect a hundred dollars, would you not, right? Because well, the price, what's coming, is a thousand dollars. That's what's agreed upon, okay? And so the down payment is going to reflect the price. If I promise you a hundred cows, let's say I'm a rancher and I say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to sell you these hundred cows. And, uh, but I'm, I, you know, they're still on pasture. And so what I'll do now is I'll give you a down payment, okay, a guarantee. And then I'll give you the rest later. What would you expect? You'd expect a few cows, wouldn't you? You know, I'm giving you some of this and more is coming. Okay. So take that same principle and think about this. If the down payment of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit of God, If the down payment is God has given us the third member of the Trinity to dwell in us and with us in a very special, unique way, then what's the inheritance? It's going to be of like currency, isn't it? It's going to be more of God. More and more of God. More of His holiness, more of His beauty, more of His justice, more of His transforming power, more of His glory, more of Him. The guarantee... That all of this is in our near future is whether or not you have the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, 
You have no assurance. I don't care if you've been baptized. I don't care if you have a, uh, you're a member of a church. I don't care if you're religious. I don't care if you pray. I don't care if you read your Bible every day. If you don't have the person of the Holy Spirit, you don't have the assurance that that is yours. You don't, you don't, have, you don't have the inheritance. So let's talk just a few minutes about the Holy Spirit. First of all, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Well, over and over again, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a gift of God, okay? You can't purchase him. Uh, remember, there's a guy in the Bible that tried to do that. It didn't end well for him. Remember that in the book of Acts, okay? You can't buy your way in. You, you, you can't manipulate God, okay? It, it's a gift of God. When does it happen? When is it given? Well, actually, our, our passage tells us that in verse 13. This is in him, which is Christ. You also, when you, first of all, heard the word of truth. Okay, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing. Okay, faith always comes by hearing. Uh, not, not, not just hearing audibly, okay, because it's very easy for you to come to church every, every Sunday or every Wednesday. It's very easy for you to read your Bible, have someone read it to you, hear all kinds of preaching, watch preaching on TV. It's easy for you to hear the words of truth and yet not receive those words. Okay, the Bible, Bible talks about that a lot. There's actually a parable called the parable of the soils that talks about different kinds of hearts. Okay, so some people have hard hearts. Some people have have weedy hearts. They've not cleaned out the sin from their life. Some people have shallow hearts. And, and then there's good soil is, is the way that it's pictured. That, that person really receives the truth in their life. But first of all, there's a hearing involved. It's a hearing the gospel of your salvation is what verse 13 says. When we hear the good news of the gospel and we believe, okay, not not and notice how this is worded here. Verse 13 in him, you also when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. Believed in Jesus, okay? Believed in the Savior. Believed in Him as King. Believed in Him as what the Bible says He is. The treasure worth giving everything for. The pearl of great price. When we believe in Christ as that, the Bible says salvation takes place. We're joined to Jesus Christ and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay. If you don't have the spirit of God in you, you don't belong to him. You say, well, pastor, I pray every day. You don't belong to him. Pastor, I go to church. You don't belong to him. Pastor, I did this. You don't belong to him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to him. But when we're saved, when we hear the gospel of our salvation, when when we see who Jesus is, when we put our trust in him, when we turn away from sin, the Bible says we are given the Holy Spirit. Now, what did you what did you do with him? Okay, you're given the Holy Spirit. So what did you do? You ever do that with your kids? You know, so so gave it. Where is it? What did you do with it? Okay, what did you do with the Holy Spirit? I mean, what does that mean that you've been given the Holy Spirit? If you're given scuba gear, what do you do with it? If you're in northwest Oklahoma, you put it away because there's nothing to do with it, right? If you're given money, you put it in your billfold. If you're given a gift card, you go spend it. If you're given a receipt, if you're me, you file it. You know, you put it away, you keep it, okay? What do you do with the Holy Spirit? You were saved, you are born again, you heard the gospel of your salvation, you put your faith in Him, you're joined to Christ, Christ, you're given the Holy Spirit. What did you do? Well, the Bible says that you are indwelt by Him, Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he dwells in you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
Here's, here's the thing. When you come to know Christ, your body changes. It becomes a temple. Now, it doesn't change physically, okay? What I'm saying is you, your body becomes something different than it was, okay? It becomes a temple of the Spirit of God. Isn't that incredible? That's one of the most incredible truths of the Scripture. Let me read that again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? In the Old Testament, they, they would add this sacred place called the temple. And no one, no one could enter it but the right people who were cleansed and had gone through the right rituals. And, and no one could enter the Holy Holies but the high priest. Okay? But, but with Christ's death and resurrection, all of a sudden, with the, the, the coming of the Spirit of God, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Your body, a sacred place where the third member of the Trinity dwells. Let me tell you, that will change how you live. You embrace that. I tell you what, there's certain things you won't do with your body. There's certain, there's certain things you won't do. I mean, you'll think twice about what you put in it. You'll think twice about what, what goes on with your hands and your feet and your mouth. Because your body is a temple of the Spirit of God. A sacred place where God dwells. Now, the big question. Maybe you've all been waiting for. I've been waiting for it. Because this, this is really what it comes down to. How do you know you have him? Okay? How do you know you have him? If the Holy Spirit is your assurance, he is your guarantee, he is your, your, uh, your seal, that, that, that what's coming for you is, is coming, that, that you have a future with Christ, if, if the Spirit of God is that, how do you know that you have him? It's not just you say you do. It, it's basically you look for his work and his presence in your life. You know what? I can walk in my office and I can tell you if Winnie Tennant has been there. I can tell you because she has certain distinguishing marks that she always leaves, okay? Uh, they're snacks is what they are. I know if Paula has a package of certain kind of cookies on her desk, if I've got something hanging on my door in a Walmart sack, I know Winnie Tennant's been there. If I come into the office and there is a small daylight donut uh, box, I know Helen Gabriel's been there. I came in just this last week, donut box, and I said, oh, I missed Helen, huh? Paula says, yeah. Paula came in, true story, a couple weeks ago. Paula comes in the office. She sees that the, her cabinet is open. Uh, her, her little uh, uh, deal with all her paper clips and everything's all kind of messed up. There's a half-eaten package of crackers on the chair. Uh, there's toys all over. And she says, Pastor, did you bring Haven in today? You know, she knew. She knew. Why? There's some distinguishing marks that that person has been there, okay? In the same way, there are some distinguishing marks that the Spirit of God is in your life, okay? Listen up. Number one, conviction of sin. John chapter 16, verse 8. says, when He comes, when the Spirit comes, what's He going to do? He's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, now, don't get mixed up with what that means, okay? You know, a lot of people, when they think of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they think of, of the Holy Spirit being this, this big policeman with his radar gun on you all the time, just waiting basically to condemn you, okay? That, that is not really the picture of the Spirit of God, okay? It's not a picture. Uh, in fact, the Bible describes him as the helper, okay? He's the helper. He's the one helping you to be who you really want to be. He's the one helping you not to sin and, and, and revealing truth to you. So, so don't look at the Holy Spirit as, as this condemning factor in your life. You know, think about what conviction is. Basically, conviction is exposing a fault or an error, okay? Um, so so don't, don't look at it as shaming you or shouting down, you know, you're filthy, you're dirty, you're a sinner. 
Uh, in fact, when that happens, I think most of the time it's the devil. You know, you know what the Bible says about the devil? He's the accuser of the brethren. Okay? The devil wants to beat you down. He wants to be critical. You know, a lot of people are that way. A lot of people are fault finders. They're, they're critics. I mean, they're just waiting. They're just looking you know, to, for, to, to point out the errors in your life. Okay? That, that's a different thing. Uh, that's really not what this, the conviction of the Holy Spirit looks like. Um, John fifteen twenty six says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Okay? And so the Holy Spirit's conviction is going to revolve around truth. He exposes truth. Okay? He exposes the truth about sin and the, the truth about Jesus. Okay? He, he, he shows us the horribleness of sin. He shows us the glory and the greatness of Jesus. Now, here's what's going to happen in your life. Okay? Here's, here's a telltale sign. Because we're sinners and we live in a sinful world, there are many things that we think are fine about the way that we talk, about the way that we live, about the way that we relate with people, uh, about our habits. And, it, and everybody around us says they're fine. But here's a telltale sign of the Holy Spirit. Even though everybody around you says it's fine, and even though you've always done it, and even though your folks live that way, there's something in you that says, that is wrong. I can't, I can't keep living that way. Have you ever felt that before? There's this, just, this conviction in you. You ever, you ever said something, and, and, and even though you were justified in saying it, even though everybody else said, yeah, you need to say that to that person, but in your spirit, you were grieved. You were cut to the heart. That's the Spirit of God in you. It's the Holy Spirit revealing truth. Here's a great example of that in 1 Samuel 24. David is, uh, is on the run. Saul, King Saul is trying to kill him unjustifiably. Okay, And Saul has killed several people in David's, David's friends and his family and people that David loves. I mean, it's just this horrible situation. David's on the run. Finally, they're in a cave and Saul goes in to go to the bathroom. And David has the chance to take his life. Okay, And all of his buddies, all of his warriors, all these guys that he loves and trusts are telling him, David, this is your chance. You, you need to take this guy's life. You need to kill him. This is your opportunity. You know, do it, David, do it. And David sneaks up, but he, but he, can't, he can't bring himself to take Saul's life. But he cuts a little piece of Saul's robe off in order to prove to Saul that, that, that he is really a man who, who could have taken his life, but he didn't, okay? But listen to what happens when he does that. In, in 1 Samuel 24, verse 5, it says, Afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just thinking, what? You know, I, I mean... I think he was justified in, in taking his life. I mean, Saul's trying to kill him. He's almost defending himself. All of his buddies are saying, this is your chance. God's given him in your hand. David just cuts off a corner of his robe and his heart strikes him. You ever had your heart strike you? Why? It wasn't God's plan for David. God had told David, I'm going to take care of this. You be meek. You let me handle this. God did handle it. But what was it? That was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are situations, folks. Ever do this? Ever try and try and try to justify something in your life? You ever even get, get kind of evidence, you know, and say, God, you know, I, I, it's okay for me to live this way. I mean, look, so-and-so lives this way. And look, look here. And I saw this and I read this. And, and that scripture, it could mean this or that. And you just work so hard to try to justify something. But man, the Holy Spirit won't let you go. I mean, he just continues to pound. You know what that is? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, on the other hand, have you ever have you ever had something clearly in the Word of God that said this is wrong? This part of your life is not right, and 
and yet you were fine continuing on in that path? Let me tell you, folks, if, if that's happened, that's a bad deal. You get what I'm saying? If, if clearly you, you opened up your Bible and you can read this thing in your life is not right, but you're able to just close that Bible and say, well, that's okay. Not everybody's, everybody's not perfect. And, you know, that could, I don't know. It's okay. Let me tell you, folks, if you can do that, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. Because the Spirit of God is going to bring tr- conviction in your life. Because He's going to reveal the truth about sin. He's going to reveal the truth about Jesus. And, and the result of that, folks, is that we're not going to want to sin. And, and, and you know where that leads? To the second mark. That leads to we're not able to continue to live in sin. L- listen to First John. First John chapter 3, verse 9. 1 John 3, verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. You hear what that said? God's seed abides in him. God's nature in the Holy Spirit abides in us. And so we can't keep living in sin. That's the mark of a believer. Whenever you find yourself unable to just continue living in this sinful thing and you try to justify it and you, you try to get her out of it, God just hounding you and just convicting you, you find yourself, I, I can't keep living that way. That's a mark of the Spirit of God. And it's a beautiful thing. I love it. I love to see believers who can't live in sin. I mean, I love to watch this. I see this all the time. You know, somebody will come in and man, they're just angry and they're just unforgiving and something's happened and they're hurt deeply. And they're like, I'm so mad and I'm done with this. And I'm, you know, and I try to encourage them and comfort them. And when I leave, when they leave, I'm just thinking to myself, you know what? It's going to be okay. You know, they're going to come back. It's going to be okay. And it is, you know, I'm just amazed, you know, two days later. Well, I've been praying about that, and, uh, you know, I'm just not even mad about it anymore. I, I've forgiven them, and, you know, it, you know God's just, God's blessed me and forgiven me. How can I not forgive them? And he just showed me this, and, you know, I'm just like, that's, that's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that a great thing? Just knowing, man, you can't, live, they can't stay in sin. They can't stay there. That's, that's awesome, because the Spirit of God is within them. Now, now here's the scenario everybody always gets nervous about. Whenever, whenever you preach a sermon on, the Bible says we're secure in Christ and we're safe in Christ and the Holy Spirit has sealed us in Christ and, and we're going to persevere to the end. Everybody's always scared that when someone hears that, they're going to think, well, hey, if I'm born again, I've been sealed in Christ and I can just do whatever I want. I can just sin because I'm not going to be judged. That can't happen. Let me tell you how that can't happen. If the Spirit of God is in you, what's he doing? He's convicting you of sin. He's revealing Jesus to you. He's not letting you live in sin. It's an impossible situation. A born-again believer cannot do that. If someone can do that, if someone's like, hey, I made a decision at Falls Creek, I'm saved, I got the Holy Spirit, I'm good, I'm just going to live however I want, and they stay in that, let me tell you, they don't have the Spirit of God. They're not a believer. But the Spirit of God is going to produce conviction. He's going to reveal Christ. He's going to keep them from living in sin habitually. And he's going to bring about the, the fruit of the Spirit within them. Listen to this. Galatians chapter 5. One page back in my Bible. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That, that's what the Spirit of God brings in a life. The person who has the Holy Spirit is convicted of the horribleness of selfishness and anger and unforgiveness. And they find themselves bringing about the fruit of love and patience and kindness in their life. Okay, one more thing. Okay, conviction of sin, unable to live in sin, fruit of the Spirit, all marks of, of, of having the Holy Spirit. Here's one more, okay? Another mark of the Holy Spirit is unity with other believers. 
Look, look. We'll, we'll get to this passage and we'll we'll, we'll explore it more uh, here here in a couple months. But look in Ephesians chapter four, verse three. It says, "Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." Okay, now what does that mean? The unity of the Spirit. It's the unity with, with which the Holy Spirit brings in a person's life when they're joined to Him and they're and they're they're indwelt with the Spirit of God. And and Ephesians says, be eager, give effort, have diligence to maintain this this unity that already exists. Okay, now now notice how these work together. Go up one verse, Ephesians 4, 2. Okay, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. What is that? That's the fruit of the Spirit. Does that that sound familiar? We just read Galatians 5. You know, fruit of the Spirit is, and those those are all fruits of the Spirit. Okay, and so, so Paul is saying, as, as we bear the fruit of the Spirit, as we bear humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance, you know what's going to happen? The Spirit of God is going to maintain unity between believers. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're always going to agree on everything? Let me tell you what it does mean. We will agree on Jesus Christ and we will agree on the gospel, okay? If we don't agree on that, that those are big. Those, there's a problem. There's a doctrinal, foundational problem. We'll agree on that. But you know what? We'll not always agree on the best method for communicating the gospel to our world. That's true, isn't it? We're not going to agree on that. We don't all agree on that right now, okay? We're not always going to agree on whether it's better to build a building over here for for me and three or whatever, or buy a campus. We're we're not always going to agree on that. We're not always going to agree on whether it's better to run two buses at Team Kids or run six buses at Team Kids. I mean, there's just a lot of things we're not always going to agree on. But you know what? What's going to happen? If we honor the bond, if we have the Spirit of God, if you have the Spirit of God and I have the Spirit of God, if the Holy Spirit's in you and the Holy Spirit's in me, guess what? We're already united. There, there's something that holds us together that is bigger than all of that. It's bigger than buses. It's bigger than a building or a second campus. That The Spirit of God in you and the Spirit of God in me. We're together joined to Jesus Christ and dwelt with the Spirit of God. And we will find a way to work together. Why? Because we'll work on our relationship. The the Holy Spirit produces Christ-centered relationships. Isn't that what you see there in Ephesians 4? I mean, through the fruit of the Spirit, we're bound together through this common Holy Spirit who's in you and is in, in me. And that will produce a passion to keep the relationship strong, even when we disagree. So you know what? When you find yourself bearing with difficult people, when you find yourself not writing off people that, that have a different opinion than you, when you find yourself disagreeing with someone about the music style or the carpet color, but yet at the same time working real hard to keep that relationship strong, working real hard to minister to them, to care for them, to pray for them, when you find yourself doing things like that, you know what that is? That's a mark of the Holy Spirit. That's a, again, I keep using this phrase, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I've seen people in this church, it's just beautiful, you know, deeply disagree on something. So much so, you know, some people are different than others. Some people, when they, when they disagree, you can't hardly tell it. Like their demeanor doesn't change. Some people, it's like they turn a different color, you know. I mean, it's like written all over them, you know. It's like, no, you know, no, you know. And, and it's cool, it's been cool for me to see, you know, people, you know, who disagreed about this stuff. And yet at the same time, they worked hard to maintain that relationship. And they worked hard to care for each other. And they worked hard to be forbearing. And then they, they, they bared with and they put up with some stuff. And, and they were gracious. And they were humble. And oh, it's, it's so cool to me to see that transformation. I mean, I, I wish I could tell you stories, but that wouldn't be appropriate. But I mean, it's just cool to, to see, 
You know, people who I knew were deeply dis- disagreed about something, almost to the point where they had a hard time conversing. And the Spirit of God, through a series of, of days and weeks and months, you know, I'd come in and I'd see them embracing. And the whole, that, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. When you see that, Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of God working in us. It's a mark of the Spirit. All right, so let's review. You find yourself being deeply convicted over an attitude, an action, a conversation you may have had for years and were never troubled by it. But God shows you the truth about that. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, folks, you say, well, I've been a Christian so long, that's no longer happening. <laughs> Come on. It's still happening to me. I tell you what. And, and you're saying, well, Pastor, you're not far enough along. Well, you know what? I think it was happening in Paul. You know, I don't, I don't think we ever get perfect. Okay. That, if the Spirit of God is in you, that's gonna, it's going to continue to happen. God just continued to work on you and reveal, expose. That's what he does. He reveals truth more and more and more and more. He grows us and he reveals Jesus to you more and more and more. Folks, if you see that happening, the Spirit of God's in you. When you find yourself unable to continue in rebellion, not wanting to sin, you find yourself valuing Jesus more and more. There, there it is, man. You've turned away from your sin, put your faith in Christ, and more and more and more, God just begins to reveal who Christ is and to reveal what He's done and to reveal how beautiful the gospel is. That's the Spirit of God working in you. You find yourself not being able to stay at odds. You find yourself being drawn back to these people that are unlike you and irritate you sometimes. And and you, you find yourself keep fighting for relationships. That's the Holy Spirit. You know what? That's your receipt, okay? That's your confirmation. That's your email that says you have what you think you have. Paul says we are sealed with the Spirit of God. And what does that mean? That's confirmation. That's a guarantee that, you know what? Amazing things are coming for you. Isn't that cool? Amazing things are coming for you. Glorious things are coming for you. Holy Spirit's the down payment. More and more and more is coming. Man, if you don't have that today, maybe you looked at your life today, you you listen to those things, none of those ring true. You think about your life, you're not sure that you've ever really turned away from your sin, that you've ever really put your faith in Jesus for your life. Oh, let me tell you, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Put your faith in him today. Hear the word of truth. What would verse 13 and 14 say? Hear the word of truth. Hear the gospel, the gospel that Jesus Christ is the God-man, that Jesus Christ came. He lived 33 years on this earth, a perfect life. And then he died a death that he did not deserve, that he did not earn, but he died it for you. He was crucified, brutally tortured and beaten and hung to die on a cross for your punishment, for your sins, that he might take your sins upon himself and die for them. And then he rose from the dead three days later. And he sits at the right hand of the Father today, saying, whosoever will come to me, believe in me, put the trust in me. I'll save them. I'll forgive them. I'll send my spirit into their hearts to live in them, to change them, to make them like me.